You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks, along with Rob Rang. Happy Tuesday to all of our listeners. The Combine kicking off in Indianapolis. John Schneider and Pete Carroll speaking with the media today. Quite a few interesting comments from both of them. Now for your lead story here on Locked On Seahawks. Speaking of Pete Carroll and John Schneider, one of the big things that both these guys discuss every time that we get to the NFL Scouting Combine, of course, they got to talk about free agency, what's going to happen with Jadavian Clowney, Jaron Reed, players like that. And usually you're going to get the typical well, we're going to do everything we can to keep them type argument, or we want to keep the player around. Not going to get too much more out of them than that as they try to negotiate with these players. But another thing that we always find out this time of year is how injured players are recovering, and Carolyn Schneider provided plenty of updates on a bunch of injured Seahawks. Rob, let's start with Rashad Penny. He's been a focal point on the show a few times since he suffered that torn ACL. We've had some updates from him personally. He tweeted that he's been riding a bike few weeks ago so that's a stepping stone in his recovery Pete Carroll said that he's making pretty darn good progress he's ahead of schedule but it still has just been two months since his surgery and he hinted that you know it may take a little bit of a miracle for him to avoid the pup list when they start training camp at the end of July yeah and so for Pete Carroll to to not have his his typical eternal optimistic uh approach when when describing Penny's injury to me that I thought that was telling um I, I think that that it's interesting and that just to to, to note that it, that that Penny is just a couple of, of months uh removed from surgery they fully expect him to to make a, um you know a, a complete recovery and um and as you mentioned that that he is ahead of schedule um but at the same time I think that it's also clear that, that Seattle realizes that uh, that they cannot rely on Rashad Penny being ready for the beginning of next year and perhaps for for all of next season. Who knows? Um, and so that was interesting, and I, I agree. Uh, I think that there, there's going to be so much buzz from the combine, whether it be from the uh, you know what the, the the head coaches and general managers say or whatever. But the real news is the injuries, and so I'm happy. I think this is the, the right strategy to, to go off of um, after what we heard from from Schneider and Carroll today in Indianapolis well the good news obviously Rashad Penny had a much more significant injury but Pete Carroll again emphasized that Chris Carson should be ready to go for the start of training camp right now Rob they're trying to do and and I understand this being somebody that lifts weights and runs regularly and and if I had an injury I would hate not being able to exercise regularly Chris Carson is a workout freak and you can tell by the way that he looks physically it looks like he was chiseled by the Greek gods but uh, he's in a position right now where he just needs to rest with that cracked hip that he suffered in week 16 and it is season. It's not an injury that is overly serious. They don't they don't have to worry about it becoming worse as long as he doesn't aggravate it. So that's the big key is just trying to protect him from himself, which can be easier said than done when you're talking about somebody like Carson. No, absolutely. I mean, just think about that. I mean, it's cracked hip. I mean, that's gonna you know limit your mobility in every which way. Um, and, and so it's just such an important part of of being a football player. I mean, we all know about the you know the strength in your legs and you know, the strength in your arms, but obviously your core. Um, that, that's one of the things that that makes Chris Carr such a terrific player is is his ability to bounce off tackles, his ability to to uh, absorb and um, and provide punishment. Um, you know, and, and so the fact that he 
is not able to uh, to work out fully. And you know, at this point, is uh, you know, it, that's just the reality of the situation. You want to make sure that he's prepared for for next season. But um, you know, to me, the the most optimistic thing, the most exciting thing, was was the fact that with Disley, um, you know, Schneider and Carroll both seem very optimistic. And then I know that there was some news as well with um, some of the offensive linemen and Jamarco Jones specifically. Yeah, Will Disley, you talked about optimism. We reported this a few weeks ago that there were reports out there the Seahawks expected him ready for week one. There was nothing disputing that today coming from Pete Carroll or John Schneider. Both of them made it clear that right now that's the expectation. They don't see any reason why he won't be ready for week one. Now, obviously, when you're coming back from a serious injury like a torn Achilles tendon, there can be setbacks. So as long as he doesn't have anything like that happen with the injury, he's making great progress. He and Penny are actually working out together, rehabbing in L.A., with specialists that the Seahawks have assigned to them and respect. So both those guys are in good hands right now as they try to come back from their injuries. Disley just happened to be way further along in the rehab process. Remember, he suffered his injury in week six. Penny suffered his injury in week 14. So there's a two-month, two-and-a-half-month gap there between those two injuries, and that impacts when those guys will be available. And you mentioned Jamarco Jones. Unfortunately, I am the reporter that unearthed this news today. I asked Pete Carroll about what was next for Jamarco Jones after playing at the guard spot. He's a natural tackle, and he was emphasizing he's going to compete at both positions next year, but then he dropped the bombshell that Jones had shoulder surgery. So sounds like he's going to be fine. does not sound like it's a serious injury. It wasn't like it was a major surgery that could prevent him from being ready for next season, but he is going to miss some time as he tries to work back. Might be limited when they return in April to do some on-field work, but it sounds like he's going to be in good shape, and he's going to be competing either at the guard or tackle spot. They love the versatility he brings to the table, and there also is a very good chance as long as he's on the roster. Again, this is a topic we've touched on a few times. It remains to be seen what the Seahawks are going to do with Justin Britt, but it sounds like he is also making really good progress. His ACL tear happened in week eight, so a month and a half before Penny, and he's an offensive lineman. I happen to believe offensive linemen can get back from that injury and play a little bit quicker than a running back can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and, and not to, to take anything away from Rashad Payne, but but Justin Britt. I mean, that's one of the things that he was known for is just that his his toughness, his work ethic. I mean, there, there there's no player, uh, and perhaps Will Disley being an exception, that I feel um, the, the confidence that I feel that, that Justin Britt is going to come back and be every bit the player that he was, and perhaps even better player, um, just because that's the type of, of mentality that he's always taken. Um, you know, so again, I, I think that there is. Some, some very optimistic news, some very um, good news for, for the, the Seahawks and, and the players that are um, coming back of these injuries, coming off of these injuries. Um, that, that's why I, I thought it was interesting that, um, you know, that, that Carroll um, and, and Schneider seemed to temper their enthusiasm a little bit uh, about Rashad Penny. But I think it's interesting that, as you mentioned, uh, Corbin, with, with Penny and Disley both in L.A. working together, I, I think that that's a really good move just because of the, uh, the, the injuries that they suffered, um, as well as hopefully a a growing friendship between the two of them. I think that, that, that competitiveness um, can hopefully help both of them be that much better. Really, the only uncertainty that they have with these injuries, Disley's coming back from that 
Achilles injury. So again, there's always the chance that there could be a setback. Hopefully there won't be, but it sounds like four of the five injured players are going to be in good shape to be able to return for the start of the regular season training camp. Rashad Penny is the one that there's a little bit of doubt just because of the severity of his injury and the fact that it happened in the final month of the season. It puts him a little bit behind schedule compared to some of these other injuries, but they're hoping they can get him back for the regular season opener. It remains to be seen. They're not going to rush him back, though. When we come back from the break for the second quarter, it's Throwback Tuesday. It's Combine Week, so we're going to look back at some of the top Combine performances in each of the main events by current and former Seahawks during the John Schneider and Pete Carroll era. Don't go away. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Seahawks podcast. This is Corbin Smith along with Rob Rang. Coming up in the third quarter, the Combine kicked off today. I had a chance to interview several receivers this morning, including Jalen Rager and Denzel Mims, two potential first, early, second round picks in a loaded receiver class. We're going to look at some receivers in the Combine, and we're going to discuss what the Seahawks have looked at, which which drills have been most important at that position, selecting players over the years under John Schneider and Pete Carroll. But first, it's Throwback Tuesday. Rob, I can't think of a better way to celebrate than going back and looking at all six of the main events that happen each year at the Combine and revisiting which players shined in each of those events and eventually ended up being drafted by the Seahawks. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun exercise, Corbin. I think this is a great idea. Um, you know, the every team in the NFL, of course, has, has drafted some workout warriors. But ever since the John Schneider and Pete Carroll got together in Seattle, then uh, you know, Seattle has done a remarkable job of 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 you know really trying to isolate some of the the elite athletes, the guy, you know, the, the players that the Pete Carroll has you know has always had. Um, you know, when he was the coach at USC, but um, you don't necessarily find throughout the the NFL. I mean, there's only certain teams who are willing to gamble on the the truly explosive athletes like a Bruce Irvin or a DK Metcalf. So, you know, I, I'm excited to kind of break down those six individual drills starting off with the bench press. Yeah, real quick, before we go through this, I want to make sure all our listeners know what each of these events is. And of course, you and I are going to have a chance throughout to debate which ones are most important. As you mentioned, the bench press will be the first one that we talk about. That one's really simple. How many times can you bench press 225 pounds? That's actually an event there's some discussion about removing from the combine. It's still there this year. We'll have to see what the future holds for the bench press. 40-yard dash, very simple. How fast can you run 40 yards? And that's the one that usually draws the most attention at the combine. The three-cone drill, or as DK Metcalf called it last Last year, the maybe the drill that dropped him to the second round didn't do very well in that one. But uh, that's an agility drill, vertical jump, broad jump, explosiveness in those two exercises, and then the short shuttle, another quickness and agility drill, the twenty yard short shuttle. So we're going to be looking at all those. Let's start with what I believe is the least important of the six events. It's a lot of fun to watch when guys are really good at it, but as far as predicting who's going to be a good football player. I just don't know that the bench press is really something that would be near the top of my priority list for evaluating talent, even if it's offensive linemen. Yeah, I, I have to agree with you, Corbin. I mean, I, I like the bench press as much as anybody. I, I think that it is, uh, it's, it's a critical 
uh, way to to get stronger in your chest, and obviously that that's important to to football. Um, but at the same time, there's just been too many players who weren't very good, um, you know, in terms of NFL prospects who have just been in, incredible in this particular event. And there's been too many players that uh, looked horrible in this event that wound up being very good NFL players. Um, for me to to give this a you know kind of a stamp of approval when it comes to the the different positional groups. But that said, um, to me, one of the the most fascinating uh, impressive results I've ever seen from a Seahawk um, besides the DK Metcalf last year as a wide receiver 27 reps I mean are you kidding me you know but going way back with Russell Okung 35 repetitions and that that's obviously a lot um, you know, and, and that would have been among the, the best of, of the offensive linemen a year ago, th- that year. Um, but at the same time, what was, was particularly impressive about that is the fact that Russell Okung had 36-inch arms. And when you have really long arms, it makes it just exponentially more difficult to lift that same amount of weight. And the, that's the thing is the bench press is all about power, but it's just as much as about endurance. Um, and so Russell Okung, you can say what you will about you know his struggles with durability, but to me he always had great strength, and you saw that in in the bench press results that he posted back in 2010. Yeah, if you have 36 inch arms, that is a disadvantage on the bench press. When you have long arms, it, it it really does create issues. But he still went up and got 35 reps. The two that always jump out to me, this one might be the most impressive. Byron Maxwell coming out of Clemson the next year, 2011 weighed 202 pounds at weigh-in for the combine and he bench pressed 225 24 times that is really (laughs) impressive for a player of that size and of course the next year 2012 robert turbin as i like to call him bob turbin mr biceps 28 bench press reps leading all running backs that one i guess didn't surprise me when you see the guns that robert turbin has for running back but that really impressive number nonetheless back in 2012 and i don't think that was really the reason the seahawks picked him but it certainly it gives him some bragging rights over a lot of his teammates with the number of reps that he tallied that day no no doubt about it i mean i i you know if he had 20 what was it 28 repetitions uh you know with the bench press i mean who knows how many curls he could have done with those biceps i mean just legendary um with how big his biceps were he was kind of freakish in that way i mean but but to me to switch from the bench press to me the 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 one that 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 gets people buying the popcorn so to speak is of course the 40 yard dash and um you know again uh you know dk metcalf um watching shakeem griffin um you know run that 40 yard dash uh just absolutely remarkable um but (laughs) again i'm going back to the the way back machine bruce urban 250 pounds and when he ran that 441 it was just like you know you, you just rubbed your eyes you know like what the heck was that? Because I, I I was expecting an incredible time from DK Metcalf, um, you know, and certainly Jakeem Griffin one shocked me. Um, but at the same time, Bruce Urban was uh, the explosive athlete that I I thought that he might run in the high four fives, and I thought that was being bold. And when he ran four four one. Uh, again, at 251 pounds, that that to me is right up there with, as you mentioned, Byron Maxwell, 24 repetitions at 205 pounds. I think the most impressive thing that's happened in the 40-yard dash, and this is a drill that I think is more important at some positions than others. We're going to be talking about one in the third quarter that I actually think the 40-yard dash is much more important. There are other positions. I will argue running back, for example, which is weird. It's the it's you know it's called running back, but to me, this maybe is one of the least important drills for that particular position. I, I agree, 100. percent I'm more I'm more into the three cone drill and the short yard shuttle. I want to see how the change of direction is, the quickness, the agility but 
nonetheless, in the 40-yard dash, the most impressive thing that I've seen in the last 10 years since Schneider and Carroll came to town, it's got to be the fact that the Griffin brothers, they are twins to the end. They both ran a 4-3-8-40. If you've ever seen the simulcast that's got both of them running the 40 at the same time, and they're literally, each split, the 10-yard split, the 20-yard split, they are dead even the entire time. And it's just freaky seeing twins doing that in separate seasons, too. It's not like they were there the same day running. So I thought that was really impressive. And I think one that kind of goes unnoticed, I've always been disappointed about this because, as you'll see, this guy's name's going to come up a lot in this segment, but... Linebacker Kevin Pierre-Lewis had a really impressive combine back in 2014, and he ran a very respectable 4.51, which led all outside linebackers that year. So that was a pretty notable performance as well. No, it really was. Uh, you know, we were remiss and just barely mentioned him during the bench press and 27 reps. Um, you know, this is, again, this is a linebacker at 4.51 speed, 27 bench reps. Um, he was undersized and struggled with durability a little bit, but he was also an instinctive physical player, uh, you know. And, and so he was always one of those guys that I really thought was going to be one of those diamond in the roughs and really explode for Seattle. And then, you know, of course, he, he went on another place, I believe, Kansas City as well. Um, and but, but never really became the star that I thought that his raw athleticism, um, you know, would, would allow him to be. Um, you know, one, we, we talked about some of the drills that we didn't think were quite as important, and, and you alluded to the fact that you think the three-cone drill might be one of the most important at the running back position. I agree with you. I think just the, the change of direction, the balance, um, the, the explosive starts and stops that you have to have in the three-cone drill, to me, is always um, one of the best barometers of just pure athletic ability. Um, and, and so I'm going to kind of switch gears and, and go back to a relatively recent player that I thought had a really phenomenal time, and that was Rasheem Green, 7.25 seconds in the three-cone drill. That's not going to be nearly as quick, of course, as, as the skill position players that we're going to mention with Kristen Michael and Kevin Norwood, etc. But at the same time, for, for, for a guy of his size, 280 pounds, uh, that, that was a remarkable time. Third fastest for any player over 275. Yeah, he did really well in the three-cone and the short shuttle. The the agility change of direction drills he did really well in, which I guess is why I was kind of disappointed his rookie season that you didn't see that. You started to see that more last season, so he was really starting to come on for the Seahawks. You could start to see some of those drills play out on the field. I think i got to mention a player you've already thrown out there for the 40-yard dash. You talk about how impressive Bruce Irvin was running a 4-4-1. How about running a 6.7-second three-cone drill? (laughs) A ton of running backs and receivers that don't touch that. He had one of the 10 fastest three-cone drill times that year. He really had a freakish combine, and uh, he was right on pace with Christian Michael, who had a 6.69. They were almost nearly identical, and Michael was around 220 pounds. Irvin was 250. That just blows me away. Yeah, that, that's why he wound up going 15th overall in the draft that year. And I remember everybody freaked out, and you know that that was the year that a lot of people were failing the Seahawks in their draft grades, and obviously that wound up. T- 2012 wound up being one of the, the the most legendary draft classes, not only in Seattle history, but I think it's going to wind up being NFL history. Um, but you know, again, the, the three cone drill it sometimes can have some players that um, you know get really impressive results, and then you don't see that on the field. Um, you, you mentioned Kristen Michael. Uh, I just never saw the the, the, the toughness, the the, re, the consistency with Kristen Michael. But there is no doubt that he was a remarkable athlete. That's why so many people want to give him opportunities. Um, but then Kevin Norwood, six point six eight seconds is a, is a terrific time in the three cone drill but i never saw that shake and bake that you know that, that never showed up him. on the field um, yeah, you know, even on his college field. tape 
Yeah, exactly. And so that kind of surprised me. So to me, that that's it. These results to me are just one part of the evaluation. And every year, it's it's big business to talk about the combine and the results that surprise you or whatever. But you have to kind of go back to the tape every time. Two drills that I really think go together well because they both, you know, you're, you're looking at very similar traits here. The vertical jump and the broad jump. It's all about explosiveness from a standing position. And I think these are actually underrated drills at the combine, uh, especially when you're looking at like corners, receivers. Uh, I don't know that running back is as meaningful, although the explosiveness is certainly something you're looking for at the position. Christian Michael, you mentioned how he dominated the combine. He led the entire field with a 43-inch vertical jump. That's just ridiculous. Like <laughs> most NBA guys aren't going to be doing that. That's jumping out of Lucas Oil Stadium. And then Kevin Pierre Lewis, 39 inches in 2014 and how about this one frank clark at over 270 pounds in 2015 jumped 38 and a half inches and i know before the show you were mentioning there was a big fella from the 2012 class that did something even more impressive yeah jr sweezy i think that's the thing i mean yeah yeah a 36 inch vertical jump um, at, at a man who was who 6'4", 315 pounds. I mean, just absolutely remarkable. And that, that's that's where I'm always going to go. Is you, you know, you, you give these these quick athletic guys, you know, these, these guys that have been the terrific athletes and have been recognized for their athleticism all their lives. They've played the skill positions, you know, all their lives. They've done it in hoops. They've done it in baseball. They've done it in track. They've done it in everything. But you got to give the big guys some love. So, you know, I appreciate you mentioned Frank Clark, 38 and a half inch vertical at 270 pounds. Uh, J.R. Sweezy, again, 315 pounds, 36-inch vertical. I mean, truly remarkable testaments to the just explosive uh, power that they possess in, in those legs. And so uh, that is, of course, so important when you're playing at the line of scrimmage. And so I think that the vertical jump and the broad jump could both be uh, really helpful um, when it comes to evaluating offensive linemen just because it does demonstrate just the, the raw power. And then, of course, if you're going to commit to it, then that's going to show the, the, de- the dedication to your craft that – is so critical along the offensive and defensive lines as well. One last thing with the Sweezy number. You mentioned 36-inch vertical. That was two more inches than Bruce Irvin. We talked about how athletic he is, some of the other numbers he put up at this at this combine in 2012. Sweezy jumped two inches higher than what he did, and he jumped two inches higher than Russell Wilson did. We're talking two really good athletes that J.R. Sweezy outclassed in this. And so remember Sweezy was a defensive lineman coming to the league. That doesn't matter. He was 300-plus pounds. And that is just freakish athleticism for a player that size. And you know Tom Cable got extremely excited when he saw that number. He's always He was always looking for those really athletic linemen for his zone blocking scheme, a guy that he could convert over to the offensive line. In the broad jump, number that always jumped out to me, Richard Sherman, we know he didn't run a blazing time in the 40, but 125-inch broad jump was one of the best for corners that year in the 2011 draft. And Shaquille Griffin, 132 inches in 2017. So Seattle has typically looked for corners that do well in the broad jump. Yeah, I think that, that I'm, I'm happy that you pointed that out. We're going to be talking about that a little bit later with uh, the, the wide receiver position. And obviously, athletically, a lot of players will, will switch back and forth from receiver to corner just the way that the Richard Sherman did. Um, you know, And so uh, that is uh, something that to kind of keep an eye, an eye on. And I also thought 
thought it was impressive too. We, you know, we, we've kind of touched on DK Metcalf. Everybody's talked about, um, you know, his remarkable workout uh, that he had in Indianapolis a year ago. But I don't think enough people talk about the 134 inch broad jump that he had, um, and the fact that Travis Homer um, also had a 130 inch uh, broad jump. I mean, that, that's a terrific number for a running back. So, um, you know, th- that is just again, these these are two explosive athletes. I think that's one of the reasons why, as we talked about before, with, with Rashad Penny going to be on the shelf that Seattle may not be quite as desperate that position as some may, some outside of the franchise might think. One last drill. We've covered the first five and maybe to me, I don't know, maybe I, I'm just biased here because I always ran short shuttles with my players all the time when I was coaching football. But I, I believe of these six drills that the short shuttle may have the best application when you're looking universally at football. I think that you can find value with offensive linemen. You can find value with skill players. And I think it has importance to all of those positions. And the Seahawks, they've picked some really good athletes with the short shuttle. And the one that I want to highlight here, 2015, cornerback Ty Smith didn't last very long with Seattle, just a couple seasons. But he's still in the league. He's been around for a while. He's ended up carving a decent NFL career as a reserve and a special teams guy. But this is ridiculous. He ran a 3.96 second short shuttle, a top five finish for the entire field back in 2015. That is elite change of direction and agility. Yeah, it really is. Uh, you know, the, the Seahawks have not drafted many players from small schools, but, uh, you know, Ty Smith from Towson w- was one of them. Um, and it's because of the, the, the just sheer athletic ability that you're just talking about there, Corbin. I mean, that's, you know, it kind of gives me a, a chance to, um, you know, to, to mention one of like my favorite little scouting uh, pieces of jargon. I used to call them greasy knees and COD. And COD, of course, stands for change of direction. And, you know, just greasy knees. I mean, when you're doing the short shuttle, very similar to the three-cone drill, you just have to be able to change direction so damn fluidly. And and so it just makes it a a very um, applicable trait that you're looking for at the cornerback position, receiver position. As you mentioned, virtually every position because you obviously have to change directions and you have to do it very quickly um, without uh, stumbling or anything like that um, to be successful in football, regardless of position. Um, And and so to me, this is a a really good one. Again, I'm always going to focus in on the big guys and Rasheem Green, one of the reasons why I think that he is um, one of the guys as who, who absolutely is going to continue to be a, a rising player for Seattle. Uh, 4.39 seconds in the, in the short, short shuttle, second fastest over 275 pounds uh, back in 2018. I want to finish off this segment with this might be the most astonishing, aside from J.R. Sweezy outjumping Bruce Irvin. That, that to me is the craziest <laughs> number that we have on this list, but this is a close second. Again, Frank Clark was over 270 pounds at the 2015 Combine. He posted a better short shuttle time than Tyler Lockett. He beat him by .02 seconds, so very close, but he edged him. And that's crazy because we know Tyler Lockett is a tiny little speedy receiver, and yet Frank Clark posted a better time in this drill that's all about change of direction and agility. That's one of the more shocking ones on here, and that's another reason the Seahawks needs a second-round pick on him despite the controversy of him getting kicked off Michigan's team. That athleticism was just not something that they could pass up, and we saw what he turned into was a 13-sack player for the Seahawks before being traded to the Kansas City Chiefs last offseason. Coming up in the third quarter, We're going to be looking at our first position group here for the Combine. I had a chance this morning to speak with several receivers. This is a loaded receiver class, and you could see 
Pete Carroll and John Schneider, how excited they were about this group. Even if it's not one of the biggest needs for the Seahawks, you can guarantee they're paying attention because this has the chance to be a historically great class. We're going to look at what the Seahawks look for at the receiver position, what they've drafted in the past under Schneider and Carroll, and much more. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back. Glad to have you joining us here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, coming from Indianapolis, along with Rob Rang. Today, kicking off the festivities at the NFL Scouting Combine, quarterbacks, receivers, and tight ends had a chance to speak with the media. I interviewed several receivers, a couple quarterbacks. I'll tell you what, Rob, we have talked about this time and time again. I don't think I really realized just how deep this receiving class is until I had the chance to start interviewing players. And you just kept seeing these star players come in to the podium. And there were a couple times where I was scrambling trying to run around to get questions off to three or four players that were up at the same time. And several people that have been to the Combine for years were telling me they had never seen a receiving room like that at the Combine. There's just so much talent. Yeah, there really is. I I think you can make a a very strong argument that the wide receiver class is the best uh, in the the 2020 NFL draft. Uh, There's a lot of people making that argument. I personally think that the offensive tackle class um, is right there with it. Um, Cornerback is good as well. Um, but this wide receiver class is is extraordinary, um, you know. And so whether it be the the Alabama duo of Jerry Judy and, and Henry Ruggs, or um, you know C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma, who I think is a chance to um, to to match what uh, Hollywood Brown did last year and be a first round pick. Brown, of course, was the only first round pick at three receiver a year ago. I think you're going to see five or six guys wind up going in the first round this year. And Seattle is one of those teams that's right on the edge that, that doesn't necessarily need a third receiver. Um, now, now that they, they brought in Greg Olson. Um, but at the same time, I, I think that this talent group is, is so good uh, that, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll have to, to be intrigued by it. Yeah, I kind of get a mixed feeling as far. And here's the thing, when you're at the Combine, and you, this comes from all coaches and general managers, it's really tough sometimes to gauge what their feelings are on certain position groups because they don't want to give anything away. They don't want other teams, other general managers to be like, ooh, I can read by body language or by comments that they're interested in this player. You're never going to hear John Schneider or Pete Carroll explicitly talk about a draft prospect. They're just not going to do that. And other teams aren't going to do that either. If they're smart, they're not going to be doing that. They don't want to give anything away. But I still got the feeling from the responses, especially from Schneider, that uh, these guys know how special of a receiving class that this could be. And Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Media, he gave a first, second, or third round grade to 27 receivers in this year's class. That just puts in perspective how loaded this group is. So I'm with you. And we've talked about this a lot. I think the Seahawks could end up in a position that there's going to be a player that in a lot of drafts would be picked in the first round there's going to be at least one of those players that potentially falls in the second round that's available, and suddenly they're going to be in a tough spot. Yes, this might not be one of our biggest needs, but why not give Russell Wilson another weapon to team up with Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf when you get a group that's got this much upside, this many stud dynamic playmakers, and they've shown in the past they love to get their athletes. There's a ton of them at the receiving position this year. So what I want to do real quick here, just to kind of set the stage, we're going to look at a few prospects the Seahawks may consider, but 
first, I want to talk about what the Seahawks have historically looked for at the receiver position. One reason we looked at those six main drills, we're going to be throwing those around here in this segment as well. The Seahawks have drafted nine receivers over the past 10 years that participated in the NFL scouting combine. There's been a few others they drafted that were invited but weren't able to participate. These nine players actually participated in drill work, and there are some things on here that I noticed that don't necessarily, you know, that you can tell they're not a big deal, and one of them is the three-cone, and it's not just DK Metcalf having a slow three-cone last year. They've drafted several players that have been well above seven seconds in that drill, so it seems to me that that's not one that's prioritized when they're evaluating receivers. No, but at the same time, when I look at the I look at the, the three cone numbers for for these receivers. Um, Gary Jennings is another one that, that had a, a high number, seven point three two seconds. But again, it's two hundred fifteen pound re- receiver. Um, DK Metcalf, two hundred twenty eight pounds, had a seven point three eight. As you mentioned, Kenny Lawler, two hundred three pounds, but but a, a lanky six two guy, uh, seven point one three. So to me, what's what's interesting about this? I always look at these numbers and I try and compare it to the heights and weights of the, of the players um, and is that what you see on tape and so I, I think that the three cone drill um, what it should the, the surprising number the surprising one in all that that I was remiss not to mention was was Kevin Norwood 6'2", 198 pounds kind of a similar lanky bill as Kenny Lawler and then Chris Harper 6'1", 229 with a 6.89 second I mean that, that's the second fastest tied for second fastest of all the receivers so th- those are guys that I didn't see that type of of agility on tape and yet then they do it in the workouts and that to me is is one of the things we talk about it all the time those those workout warriors that that i i liked chris harper and i I like kevin norwood football players i just didn't think that they were those dynamic athletes that those numbers showed and those are to me are 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 some of the things that the combine is really important it's not about unearthing the superstars it's about finding some of the guys who maybe are a little bit frauds what I always like to do when I'm looking at positional groups, and it's really fascinating when we talk offensive line and cornerbacks, there's going to be a huge emphasis on arm length. And the Seahawks have a threshold that's very evident in both those positions that they're looking for. At receiver, there's not really a distinctive you know, height, weight, or, you know, physical trait, a metric, you know, none of the drills we talked about that necessarily stands out like, oh, they have to be at this or better. But one thing I did notice, they definitely place emphasis on the 40-yard dash at this position. If you look at the nine players they picked, only one player was above a 4.55 40-yard dash, and that was Lawler at 4.64. Nearly every player on here ran at least a sub four five and so clearly to me that's something that they are looking for they want blazing speed at the receiver position and that's held up for the entire schneider era yeah it really has and i'm happy that you mentioned that, that lawler was kind of the outlier i mean he was the one who ran the four six four seconds everybody else's um you know four five five and, and lower as you mentioned um kenny lawler was an outlier in so many different ways that's why i mentioned him a couple of times because he had he, he he played tall, 6'2", 203 pounds, and, and had very long arms, a terrific body control, could basically catch a you know catch a bullet in the blizzard kind of a guy, kind of a guy. Um, but at the same time, he didn't work out well, and that's one of the reasons why why you know he wound up being a seventh round pick. But all, all these other players, you, you, you look at the, you know, the, the the 40-yard dashes, and it's very clear that, that John Schneider and Pete Carroll believe in straight-line speed. speed. They, they believe in the big play. Uh, 
um, potential. And, and again, that, that kind of ties in with what we've always seen that the, the Seahawks have preferred uh, throughout this tenure. Lawler was such an outlier. He was one of the few receivers they had that didn't do well in the vertical either. Really across the board, he was the weakest athletically of any receiver they have picked in the past 10 years since Schneider arrived. His broad jump was significantly less than everybody else that they drafted. He had a slower three cone. His shuttle was one of the slower times. So he was just kind of a a weird selection. But again, it was a seventh round pick. And you're going to be more willing to make some picks like that where maybe the guy's not the greatest of an athlete, but he's a good football player. He can catch. Let's see if he can come in and contribute for us. And obviously Lawler never was able to make the Seahawks roster, but the one outlier there. Now, let's go to this year's class. We've talked about how loaded it is. Real quick, because of time, if you're John Schneider, what is one receiver that if he is available, and let's make this as realistic as possible, there are some guys like Jerry Judy that are not going to be there at number 27, but who is a player in the first round that you believe John Schneider would have a really tough time passing up if that player was available? Well, I, I, I wish I could just follow the directions, but I, and I'm not that way, Corbin. I apologize. I got a bunch of them, and that, that's the thing, and that, that's what makes it complicated. Is that that's why I think the Seattle could be absolutely be in this position, but. I know there's a lot of speedsters out there. You know, a Brandon Ayuk from from Arizona State would be one that, that I'm very high on, for example. But at the same time, I've talked about him before. Lavisca Chenault, I think, has the physicality and the versatility. I think that would also make a lot of sense as well. He'd be an interesting player to pair up with DK Metcalf. The size that you would have on the outside, special teams versatility that he brings to the table, and having a chance to hear him speak a little bit today seems like he's pretty level-headed too so he'd be a good guy to bring into your locker room and I gotta stick with my hot hand you've talked a lot about Chenault I'm gonna stick with Jalen Rager because he is the one player and that does this does not mean that other receivers have not had meetings with the Seahawks a lot of players don't uh, tell reporters who they've met with but he was upfront with it he's like I've met with 15 teams and the Seahawks are one of them and Jalen Rager just strikes me as the kind of player that John Schneider would go nuts over because the versatility. He can play in the slot. He can play in the outside. He's a dynamic kick and punt returner. You could replace Tyler Lockett back there with this kid right away, and he's an upgrade at this point, returning kicks, and that protects Tyler Lockett, your number one receiver. He can run the football some. You can do all kinds of fly sweep motion, move him in and out of the backfield, basically he's like CJ Prosize with a lot more developed receiving skills and he's been much more durable. And so I look at this kid, the one concern I would have is he's had some concentration drops. He did talk about that today. He's like, yeah, that's something earlier in my career that was a little bit of a problem, but he didn't have near as many of those this season, even playing with subpar quarterbacks at TCU. And so he would definitely be the player at number 27. I don't think it's a coincidence the Seahawks have had a formal meeting with him. He just strikes me as the kind of player that they would be very interested in. Oh, I have to agree with you. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I've talked about Ayuk, I've, I've talked about Chenault, but Rager to me is absolutely one of those players that makes a lot of sense for Seattle. You know, we, we and I think this is the perfect time to talk about him because I think that he's going to absolutely blow up the combine. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he runs in the four threes. Um, when he signed with TCU, um, he was a he was a big time football recruit. He's a big time track recruit. He, he recorded a national best twenty six foot long jump as a as a prep in, in twenty. 16 
Um, and, and, and so that he's going to, he's going to work out very well. Um, and, and so, and one of the things too, that I, I know that the Seahawks have always preferred is that they want a guy who has bloodlines. He has that out with his dad, Monte Rager played defense tackle in the NFL, uh, for nine seasons, as well as the fact that they also want a, a, a guy who plays his best in big moments. And that's, again, one of the reasons why I think that he's going to perform very well in the workouts, but that's also, he had a 70 yard punt return against West Virginia in his final game at TCU. It, it's those types of athletes who who rise up um, in, in the big moments is what Seattle has always preferred um, throughout this era. And so I wouldn't be surprised at all if Rager is, in fact, one of Seattle's draft picks. Those are just the kind of players that John Schneider just can't ignore. You know, he's, he sees that athlete available there and, and the versatility again. A guy you could move all over the formation. You can't tell me that that would not be a player that's high on the big board. If he's available at 27, I know it's not the biggest need, but that's a player that I just think it strikes me that he would be someone Schneider would have to strongly consider picking at that point and just say we're taking the best player available we're taking the speedy versatile athlete now as much depth as there is at this position you and I have discussed this a few times there are going to be guys that maybe other years would have first round grades that are going to fall in the second round there are going to be some really good receivers that fall so there's the argument not to take a player at the position in the first round in a dream scenario who would be the fringe first rounder that's still on the board when the Seahawks have their two second rounders at the end of the round? Um, you know, that, that's a great question. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, one player who's always really intrigued me is Baylor's Denzel Mims. Um, this is like, he's a long strider. I think we're watching him um, on, on tape that he that there, there's some elements of his play that remind me of Kenny Galladay when he was coming out of Northern Illinois. Um, not quite as long, um, not quite as, as graceful, um, but at the same time he's more physical um, and and he does have uh, that kind of that long galloping stride that's going to allow him to um, to kind of break away. And of course we know that Russell Wilson has one of the, the, the best deep balls in the game. I think that it's going to be imperative whether it be a, a receiver in the first round, receiver in the second round, or maybe even some. On, on day three that you find another speedster to be able to give Seattle that, another weapon. I agree with you on Denzel Mims. I had a chance to speak with him today, and what I love about him is the fact that he's a selfless player. This is a guy that loves to run block. You could make the argument watching how he practices, especially at the Senior Bowl, that that's something he takes very seriously. He loves to get after as a run blocker. And you know that would excite John Schneider and Pete Carroll. They love to have receivers that are willing blockers in that offense. But I'm going to throw out another name out there, a guy that, that I think would be willing to block, gives you good size. He might be one of the best route runners in this draft class. A little older player compared to some of the others. And we've talked about him a couple times. I've got to go with Van Jefferson being a guy, if he's still available, that second, second round pick, you have that tight window, they got five, they have two picks and a five pick span. I think Van Jefferson's a player that you could certainly consider there and bring him to Seattle because he's a guy that can play some out of the slot. He's going to be a guy that can play some special teams for you. He's got good hands. He's an outstanding route runner. And really, he's a player that I think has, of all the receivers in this class, he might be one of the two or three guys in this group that has the most to gain entering this combine. Because if he goes out and runs faster than expected and does well in some of the other drills, that could vault him into early to mid-second round discussion. Even in this loaded class, he played it in an offense that didn't have a great quarterback most of the time, so that impacted him. Some Rager had to deal with the same things at TCU, but you can see on film the instincts he plays with, the route-running savvy. You put him with a good quarterback. I think this is a guy that could really be an instant contributor in the NFL. 
Well, he, he's a very polished, <clears throat> excuse me, a very polished player. Um, his dad, Sean Jefferson, played a long time in the NFL and is <clears throat> now the uh, wide receiver coach, I believe, for the Miami Dolphins. Um, but a, a, but a wide receiver coach in the NFL, and um, and, and you see that w- w- with Van Jefferson. Uh, he was a player that um, was originally was at, uh, it was at Tennessee, um, and wound up transferring to Florida in part because he did get that in, inconsistent quarterback play, um, as you mentioned, Corbin. But really had a spectacular week of practice. I got to see it myself um, at the Senior Bowl. Um, and, and so he is a player who is already moving up the board. So you're absolutely right. If he continues his, uh, you know, his, his positive momentum with the terrific performance the, at the Combine, then I think that he can be one of the hottest names to the wide receiver position. Um, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't mention, again, one of my, my, my favorite players uh, in this draft class, uh, and James Prochet, we've talked about before, um, Seattle's need for a, another return man. Um, and then I, I think someone else to, to give you some, some make-you-miss ability of that slot position um, very excited um, about what Seattle already has, but at the same time, Prochet, 5'11", 196 pounds, um, led the country in, in receiving yards, I believe, this past season, um, and it just has the softest hands uh, of any receiver in this draft class, in my opinion. Um, and, and so I think that he is a guy that you might be able to get in day three that, that might be able to help you out immediately, like Jefferson, as you mentioned before. If you're if we're looking for a day three guy that gives you day two value, I don't know where this kid's going to end up falling because, again, the combine might have a lot of bearing, but Gabriel Davis out of Central Florida is another player that I've started to really like in this pre-draft process that could make a lot of sense. I think he's a really good character guy as well, having a chance to hear him speak a little bit this morning. He's a player that could be a third rounder. Maybe he goes the fourth. And most years, I think he's probably a guy that could get in the second. But again, there's so much depth at this position this year. You're going to get some really good value. So that's one other player that I would keep a close eye on just because there's some things he brings to the table that I think the Seahawks would be intrigued by if he was still available in that late third with their uh, comp pick, fourth round, somewhere in that range. He could be a player if they haven't taken a receiver already that maybe could be interesting to them. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever your preferred podcast platform is by visiting us at LockedOnSeahawks.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, Rob and I will discuss what to expect from tight ends and offensive linemen at the Combine, two positions Seattle could be looking for prospects come draft weekend, plus more takeaways from yesterday's press conferences. You won't want to miss it. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Go Hawks!